Wow, can you believe it? Today we are in chapter 30 of the story. Paul's final days in a message that I'm calling, hey, I got something to say. And, and, and yeah, there's just one chapter left for next Sunday in the story. And now if you're kind of new to the Grove, the story is a journey that we began all the way back on January the 13th, a, a journey through the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation, uh, using this book, which is 31 chapters of selected scripture arranged in chronological form, using this book a, a, as our guide. It, it's a journey where we have seen played out again and again these three powerful truths that God is Great, God is good, and God is gooder than we could ever have imagined. I mean, think about it. Our God constantly, it should be a word, our God constantly and passionately pursues prodigal people like you and me. In fact, ever since the garden, God's, God's response to our sin and rebellion, God's response to my sin and rebellion, God's response to your sin and rebellion has been to always offer his grace. Now, now if you read chapter 30 this week, you discover two things that, number one, it's a really awesome chapter, and number two, that it covers the, the final lapse in Paul's journey within for Christ. And I, I, and I want to share a, a few snapshots of some of the scenes you find in chapter chapter 30 of the story. The first is that powerful scene on, on the beach by the Aegean Sea as Paul meets with the elders from the church in Ephesus. Now, Paul had spent three years in the church in Ephesus, and these leaders had traveled 60 miles, probably on foot, just to be there with Paul to meet him at the beach and kind of put yourself there. There's a sea, there's a ship, and there's these men who love each other and who love God meeting together on the beach. And we read this in Acts 20. Paul says to these leaders, guys he loves and served with, and now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I'm innocent of the blood of any of you. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Paul said, you know what? When I brought the word to you, I, I, I didn't hold anything back. I, I told you things that sometimes you didn't want to hear. I, I told you things that, that made you uncomfortable. But I, I gave you the whole thing. I gave you all of God's word. Then he tells these leaders, these men, he says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock to which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. And the scene on the beach wraps up this way. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept and they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them the most was the statement that they would never see his face again. Then he accompanied him to the ship. What a powerful scene. I mean, I, I, I can almost feel the, the sand under my feet. I, I can almost feel the salty air beating against my body. And I can almost sense the very real and raw emotions that these men are feeling. Paul, Paul, we don't want you to go. Paul, we don't want to see what's going to happen to you happen to you. And Paul goes, I, I don't want to go. 
but, but I have to. I got to go. The next snapshot took place in Caesarea. Paul had been there for a few days hanging out at a guy named Philip, the evangelist's house. And about several days into his visit there, a prophet by the name of Agabus he shows up and does something kind of odd. He, he takes Paul's belt and he takes Paul's belt and he ties up and binds both his feet and his hands with Paul's belt. I mean, if someone did that to you this morning when you came to church, took your belt and began to tie themselves up with it, you'd be like, well, this is kind of freaky. What kind of church is this? And, and, and so and, and here's what he said. The Holy Spirit says in the, this way the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. And when we heard this, and when you study the book of Acts, every now and then you'll see that pronoun we, and all that is, every time you see that, that means that Luke is traveling with him. You know, other times he doesn't use we, but Luke is with him. And when we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. See, Paul had decided, right, to follow Jesus. No turning back. And if people didn't go with him, it didn't matter. He'd make that decision. And when he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. After this, we started on our way up to Jerusalem. And when they get to Jerusalem, things get really crazy. Paul preaches the gospel at the temple. Some people liked what he said. Some didn't. Those who did it drug Paul outside the temple. They try to kill him. The Roman soldiers step in. They stop it. They stop the lynch mob. They arrest Paul. And just as the Roman soldiers are about to stretch Paul's body out to flog him, I love this, Paul goes, question is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't ever been found guilty? Now, Paul knew the answer, and this guy begins to really freak out. Like, how do I get out of this mess that I'm in? And Paul, after some more trials, a, a, a few more uh, years in jail, a murder plot, an armed escort of 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, 200 spearmen, a storm, a shipwreck, Paul finally winds up in Rome, the exact place that Jesus said he would be when Paul was arrested that night in Jerusalem. Jesus appeared to him and said this, be encouraged, Paul. Yeah, I know you're in jail. It's not looking good. But just as you've been a witness to me here in Jerusalem, you must preach the good news in Rome as well. And the book of Acts ends with these words. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Awesome stuff. Man, I love Paul. And now this week, as I, as I always do, I, I really struggle about, okay, God, what do you want me to say this week? Uh, God, when it comes to Paul's final days, there's so much stuff and so little time. What am I supposed to say? And on Wednesday morning while I was hanging out with God, an idea popped into my head pretty much out of nowhere unexpectedly, and I decided to go with it. Question, if, if Paul were here this morning at Maple Grove, if Paul invited you this afternoon to go to Starbucks and to, to have some coffee with him, if later on this day you were sitting across the table at Starbucks with Paul, what do you think Paul would say? to you. What do you think Paul would say to us? I mean, if Paul knew he only had a, a few minutes because he's about to catch a, a flight out of Charlottesville Airport in just a few minutes, he, I don't have a lot of time, and he knows that it's his only chance ever 
that speak to us personally and directly, what would Paul say? I thought about that all week long. And I'm convinced that Paul would say a lot. Now, much more than we have time for this morning, right? I mean, Paul was the kind of guy that could preach, right? And we read this week that he preached one time until midnight. Some dude named Eutychus falls out the window, right? And what Paul does, he goes down there, raises him from the dead, and goes up and preaches some more. He says, all right, I'm not done preaching yet. I'm going to preach until I kill you. Then after I kill you, I'm going to raise you from the dead, and I'm going to preach some more. So Paul, Paul has a lot to say. And, and, and so I gave Paul a time limit, right? And he's, he's going to try to stick to it. And I limited Paul to several statements you're going to find in your notes. And, and here's what I am 100% convinced of, you know, that at least one or a few of these things are going to be the exact thing that God through Paul would like to say to you this morning. So just picture as we say these things, you're in this room, Paul's up here, or you're sitting at Starbucks, or you're on your back deck grilling some steaks, and Paul's right there with you. Let's pray. And I really encourage you to pray palms open. We do that around here. Just, just symbolic gestures saying, God, you know what? You see my hands are open and I'm sitting here and not just my hands, but my heart's open to you right now. My mind is open to you. Uh, Father God, we love you and we come into your presence. And, and Lord, we just need your help right now. And, and God, help us to hear Paul's voice. Got so many voices keep shouting in our minds and our lives and we need to hear yours. And, and God, I... Sometimes I'm so desperate for your voice, God. Sometimes I, I really am that, that deer panting for streams of water uh, that David talked about, Lord. And I, I just desperately look for just a drop of your living word to run down my throat. And so, God, may we hear your voice this morning. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I am 100% certain that Paul would say to every one of us this morning, including you, be wrecked by grace. Paul writes this to Timothy in 1 Timothy. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I will show mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Listen, I'm convinced that Paul was wrecked, that he was blown away, that he was overwhelmed, that he was brought to his knees by the grace of God. I mean, are you kidding me, Lord? Are you kidding me, Jesus, after all I've done? After all the murders? After all the homes and families I destroyed, after all the children that I orphaned, after all the pain that I caused you, after all the things I did to hurt you, and yet you, Lord, you, Lord, poured out your grace on me, and you continue to pour it out on me, unmerited, unearned, undeserved, unbelievable, unstoppable, unexplainable. Are you kidding me? And Now, Paul may have never sang the song, but he definitely understood the experience, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch, a murderer, a terrorist like me. Paul says, you know what? I, at one time I was lost and one time I was blind, but God's grace came to the rescue. 
God's grace is so amazing. And understand, grace is not a, it's not a reward for the good. It's a gift for the broken. And grace is never just enough. Instead, grace is always more than enough. Uh, Paul wrote these words in Romans chapter 3. He said, no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. We're made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And, and this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus because he freed us from the penalty of our sins. Again, Paul was wrecked, blown away, overwhelmed, and knocked to his knees by the grace of God. Are you? Am I? Are you kidding me, Lord? After all I've done? After all the pain and hurt I've caused? After all the sin? Are you kidding me, Lord? After all the promises that I broke to you, Lord? Are you kidding me, Lord? After I, like the prodigal, I left your house, went to a far-off land, and lived any way I wanted to. Are you kidding me, Lord? The day I come back, you, you don't curse me. You don't rebuke me. You throw a party for me. You pour out your grace on me and continue to pour out your grace on me. Wow, are you kidding me, Lord? Are you wrecked by grace? That God would love you that much? That God would continue to love you that much? And, and listen, being wrecked by grace has some pretty significant results. The Jesus followers in Colossae were wrecked by grace, and check out what happened in their lives. Check what happened in the world because of it. Colossians 1.6. The gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you what? What's the next two words? Heard it. Okay, you're up to 3.5. To the day you heard it. Okay, and that's good to hear it, but then what? Truly understood God's grace. You see, when we get God's grace, you know, we don't take advantage of God's grace. Uh, we get taken to a, a, a new level of living, and we bear fruit throughout the whole world when we get and understand God's grace. And after taking another sip of his coffee, Paul would look at you and me and say, You can change. You can change. Is there anything in your life or about yourself that you'd like to change? Let me word it another way. Is there anything that you think God would like to change about your life? Do you think God would want you to worry less and trust more? Do you think God would like you to control your tongue and your anger more? Do you think God would like to see you overcome that hurt, that habit, that hang up? Do you think God would like to see you be more confident and less fearful? Do you think God would like to see you more patient, more kind, more forgiving, more others focused? And, and, and do you think that those changes are even possible? I mean, even for you. Question, what would Paul say? Well, I know what, one thing he did say as we make our excuses, right? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. If anyone is in Christ Jesus, he's what? A what? A new, a new creation. And the old has what? The old has, it's gone. It's gone. 
Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure Paul would look at us as, as you and I make our excuses for the way we are and the things we don't want to change. He says, don't even try it. Don't even try to tell me that you can't change. I mean, you should have met me before I met Jesus. But you wouldn't have met me because you'd be too busy running from me. Understand, Paul said, understand, in Christ, I am not the man I once was, and neither are you. And it's about time that you and I walk in that truth that we are a new creation and that the old has gone. That applies to every Jesus follower. And Paul will remind us across the table, he says, hey, remember, church, we are God's masterpieces. And he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. See, God would look at me, Paul would look at me, and all my excuses, and he would say, Steve, you can change. Steve, you can be different. Steve, you can become the person that God wants you to be. And next Paul would say, and Steve, it's not about you. It's not about you. Paul wrote these words in Galatians chapter 2. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. Repeat after me. I have been crucified with Christ. We're up to a four. I've been crucified with Christ. Oh, you're killing it now. I've been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live. And I no longer live. Okay, you're all jacked up now, but I got to stop you because I want to read by myself. And now you're going. I'm going to stop you. I know. Okay. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body. When I go to work, when I go to school, when I go home, when I go out in the marketplace, I live by faith. And the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Yeah, yeah I think Paul would, would say to us this morning, when it comes to making life all about yourself, Paul would say, I've been there, I've done that, I got the t-shirt. In fact, I was all pro at it. And he would continue, and listen, I know how empty, how draining, how frustrating, how futile, how tiring, and how depressing a life centered on yourself can be. Then he would say, but I also know the unbelievable freedom of having those chains of oppression fall to the ground when I was crucified with Christ and I no longer live for myself. I no longer live for my wants and my desires, but I live for Christ. And Paul would see the expression on her face. He goes, yeah, I know, I know. I, I know this is counterintuitive and I know it is so counter to your culture. But he would say, get this, get this. The most fulfilling and satisfying life you can ever live is one that is not live for yourself. And Paul would look at me and look at you and say, the, the greatest freedom I ever experienced was the freedom from me. It was the freedom of living for me and making it all about me. And Paul would say, that, that's why I, I, I tried to make these, these 12 words the theme of my life. To me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. To die spiritually and also... To die physically, but to die spiritually, right? You know? I know that's not what he meant in the context, but I think it's true, don't you? That when we die to ourselves, we gain, right? 
When we give up all for Jesus, we're the ones that gain. Repeat after me. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about me. And repeat this. And I'm so glad it didn't. I don't know about you. I get tired of me. Now don't answer that question because I'm tired of you too. All right, let's move on. And then Paul would say to us, open your eyes. Ephesians chapter one. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Yet Paul would say to us this morning, he'd say to me, open your eyes. And he said, Steve, if you think they're already open, open them wider so that you can begin to fully see the hope to which he has called you. Understand the hope, the hope, our hope, the hope that we have in Christ, it's not mere wishful thinking. Instead, it's a soon coming reality guaranteed by the one seated at God's right hand in the heavenly realms, guaranteed by the one who's far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. Our hope is sure. Our hope is certain. Our hope is living. And listen, if nothing can stop God, and it can't, right? then nothing can stop you, nothing can stop me when we are pursuing him and living for his purposes. Amen? Amen. Amen. Yes, Paul would say, open your eyes. He's like, do you see what you really get to be a part of? We need to open our eyes so that, I need to open my eyes so that I can see what I already have in Christ. Not what I don't have. We need to open our eyes so that we can see the hope to which he's called us, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Wow, we are part of something awesome, something huge, something eternal, something enduring. And and, and let me tell you, when we open our eyes, To all that as Jesus followers, you know what happens? We will begin to live lives of expectation. Right, because, I I mean, we can come to church. I I mean, I can come to church and think, we're going to come to church, and I'm going to throw out a sermon. Some people take notes. I'll get an amen here or there, and we're going to walk out. And I can have low expectations, right? That's not how God wants us to be. I mean, if if God is in this, and he is, right? If God wants this, and he does, if the same power that rose Christ from the dead is in us, then it is, then we can choose to live our lives with our eyes wide open, expecting things to happen. And so I want to raise the bar of my expectations from God. I think he can handle it, don't you? And placing all of my hopes, all of my fears on the shoulders of a God who, who is greater than my mind could ever comprehend. A God who by the same power that rose Christ from the dead has given me everything that I need. The little life he's called me to lead. Yes, we need to open our eyes 
to all we have in Christ because impossibilities cannot coexist in the midst of God's power and promise. See, we need to open our eyes to everything that we have in Christ because impossibilities do not exist within the realm of God's power and his promises. God can do anything, and if God said he's going to do it, he's going to keep his promise. Open your eyes, Steve. Then he would say, embrace the mission. Because we get so sidetracked, don't we? Uh, we get kind into thinking that the life is about our to-do list, that it's about the job we work Monday to Friday. It's about laying up some retirement. It's about this. It's about that. But Paul would look at me, look at you. Hey, I know you can get distracted, but let me remind you of what it's about. God reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Uh, Question, what is the mission? What is your mission? What is my mission? What is the Grove's mission? I I, I think as Jesus followers, our, our mission is basically twofold. Uh, number one, to, to reconcile people, right? To, to tell people the awesome, incredible news that, that in Christ, God no longer counts their sins against them. That's good news, right? I mean, I'm glad that God doesn't count my sin against me. And number two, our mission is to redeem the world. Not to condemn the world, uh, to, to, to redeem the world. How? By simply being the church. By simply going out and living what we claim to believe at work, at school, in the marketplace. Question, can you, can you think of any two things more worthy than that? Can you think of any two things more worthy of our full, all-in, no-turning-back embrace? I mean, come on. We get the change of forever as a people. We get the, the change where people spend forever. And, and we, get to, we get to, by the way we live, the way we treat people out in the world, we get to redeem, help redeem the world. We get to help create a better world. Man, we got an incredible mission. And Paul would say, embrace the mission. And, and then I think Paul would, would say, never journey alone. You know, and, and 1 Corinthians 12, Paul compares the, uh, the church to a human body. and says, hey, the human body's got a bunch of parts and They're all different, but they're all important. They're all needed. And then Paul says this, uh, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. All right. And the hand, head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. You see, when we look at Paul, we we don't, I'll tell you what we don't see. We don't see a long ranger, long ranger Rambo type who said, hey, I got this. I'm good. I don't need you. Instead, we see a guy who was all over this idea of devotion to this fellowship, all over this idea that doing this Jesus thing must be done in tandem. And that's why I'm confident that Paul would look us in the eyes and maybe some more intently and would say, stop trying to do it on your own. Stop trying to do it by yourself. Can't happen. That's not how I did it. You know, this week, I, I grabbed my 
pencil and, and I looked through the book of Acts and all Paul's letter and I began to, to write down all the, all the names that Paul mentions in this letter, people that he remembered and that were involved with them. And, and there they are. You know, about, it's not an exact list, so don't come back and say there's over 100. I say, that's what that little squiggly line is, right? Approximately 96, all right? All these people. And when you read the letters, Paul's constantly telling these people, he's saying, I always remember you. I always think about you. I always pray for you. And I always thank God for you because I could not have done it on my own. And some of his very last words he wrote in 2 Timothy were this. He says, to Timothy, do your best to come to me how? Quickly. Because it's getting lonely here. For Demas, because he loved the world, deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. And, and then these other guys had left. It, it's only Luke here. And, and I want you to come quickly because I, I can't do this by myself. I, I need you there. I, I need your support. Yeah, yeah, Paul had the spirit in him, right? But it's kind of like that little boy who went to pray upstairs and you know, goes to bed at night and he's afraid and mom and dad said, well, you just need to pray about it. Jesus is with you. And the little boy says, I know he's with me, but sometimes I need somebody with skin on him, right? And, and, and you know what? Yeah, Jesus is inside of us. We know that, right? But you know what? Sometimes we need people with skin on, you know? And, and, and I've seen that happen in our life groups as people sit in hospital waiting rooms and, 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 and waiting to go to pre-op. And guess what? Yeah, Jesus is there, but also there's a Jesus follower with a skin on them there too, giving them the support. And that's why we have life groups. And 21 new people were plugged into life groups just last night. And I think that's awesome. And Paul's looking at his watch and he said, man, that, that flight's getting close. I better, I, better, I better put it in fifth gear. And, and Paul would look at us and he would say, don't look back. Look forward. Not that I've already attained all this. I've already arrived at my goal. What was Paul's goal? He, Paul wanted to know Christ. Paul, Paul wanted to know the power of his resurrection. Paul wanted to share in the fellowship of his suffering. Paul wanted to be like Jesus. Not that I've already attained all this or already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind. And what's behind us? Well, two basic categories, right? Our defeats are behind us, right? Our failures, which make us sometimes say, why bother, right? Why bother? I'm a screw up. I'm a loser. And also our victories, right? Which cause us to say, hey, I'll just rest on them and not do anything else, right? And both aren't any good, right? Understand, there is no future in the past. No future in the past. Our future is out in front of us. There is no future in your past. Forgetting what's behind, straying toward his head, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Yeah, I'm confident that Paul would look, at, look me in the eye this morning between sips of coffee and say, Steve, there is a life in front of you that is waiting for you to engage it, to conquer it, and to come at it with all that you have. So Steve, don't look back. Stop looking back and start living and looking forward. Amen? Okay, I guess you don't want to look forward. All right. I'm not too proud to beg. Amen? See, you, here's how it works, right? If you're in church and something's good, like, hey, God is awesome. Amen? 
Amen. All right? I need the love. All right? I need some love this morning. You know, I need acknowledgement. And I'm not too proud to beg. <laughs> and then, then Paul would look at some in this room, and, and in his face would have that, that, that awesome combination of compassion and confidence. I mean, it's like he was looking right into our heart, knowing exactly what to say. He would look at us and say, don't quit. It's more than worth it. Have you ever, in your journey with and for Christ, wondered if it was worth it? Felt like quitting? Paul did. I sure have. And maybe, maybe that's where you are today. And I think Paul would look at you, yeah, I know it's been difficult. I know it's been hard. I know all the things coming against you. I know all, all, all the dreams that have been broken. But I want you to know, as you drink his vente mocha frap with a quad shot of espresso, <laughs> Paul would say, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Paul would say, with great compassion and great confidence, don't quit, it's worth it. Remember where you're going. Remember how this thing ends. Remember that the best forever in a world that we could not even imagine or dream of, no eye has seen or ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Remember, the best is yet to come. And I want to read a few verses out of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And, you know, I want to set it up. You know, the church in Corinth was pretty messed up and, and really messed up. I know a guy did a sermon series on 1 Corinthians called Christians Gone Wild. And so they're probably discouraged, right? You know, I know you've never been discouraged in church before or about your church before. And, and, but they were. And, and so Paul reminds them in chapter 15 of Christ's resurrection that it's real and that it happened. And that because his resurrection happened, that one day when he comes back, that, that, that we're going to have our own resurrection. And that we're going to be resurrected to a new body. Amen. I want that new body right now. You know, I mean, I tell you what, the older I get, things don't, things don't bounce back. And things that I wish didn't bounce are bouncing. You know, it's just, it's just all messed up. You know, and we get this new body. And Paul's reminding them that, hey, this is, it, the best is coming and it's like forever. And I really think Paul would look at some of you today and say, therefore, because that's coming, therefore, my dear brother, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully. Yeah, you're holding back. He says, yeah, you've been holding back, and I know why, because you're tired and you're discouraged. You're wondering if it's worth it. Nobody sees you responding. You're not getting the results that you want. But he would say, always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor of the Lord is not in vain. Now, your labor for you is in vain every time, but your labor for Jesus never is. Don't quit. Give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. It's worth it. And then Paul will say this really quickly as he looks at his watch and say, I, I, it's getting close. He would say, I, I don't want to freak you Dave Ramsey fans out any, but uh, always remain in debt. Woo! What are you talking about, Paul? Yeah, always remain in debt. Take that home with you, right? Here's what he said. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. 
Whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. You see, Paul would look at me, he'd look at you, he'd look at us. He would say, hey, no matter how much we think we love somebody, Paul says, you can love them more. You can love them better. No matter how kind we've been, no matter how patient, no matter how forgiving, no matter how selfless, we can always love them more. We can always love them better. In fact, we can always love them more better, more often. Let no debt remain outstanding. Yeah, I know you've been loving your wife and kids. Love them more. I know you've been loving people that irritate you at work and in this church. Love them more. Except the kindling debt to love one another. And as Paul looks at his watch and sees it's almost time to catch his flight, he just checked on his app. It's on time. And I can almost hear him say, oh, oh yeah, I, I, I almost forgot one. He's going to slip one in. It's not even in your notes. He slipped one in on us, man. Don't be anxious about anything. And pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for what he's done. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And then Paul would look at us and he'd see the look on her face. So I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, no way. No way. I, I can never do what you did, Paul. I can never live a life like that. I, I can never endure those kind of hardships. I, I can never change who I am so drastically. I, I can never embrace my mission with such passion. I, I can never love so intensely. I can never relate to others so powerfully. I, I can never live so confidently and so joyfully. I, I can never live so anxiety-free. And Paul will look at us and say, neither could I. Neither could I. And then he would say, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. it. It wasn't me. And Paul would say, hey, before I leave and catch my plane, I got to make sure you get this. I don't want you to be impressed with me. I, I don't want you to think that I did this all on my own. It was not me. But Christ in me that made this possible. He didn't do it. We, we have the spirit of God living in us. Jesus said, I'm going, I'm sending somebody. It's good that I go because I'm sending someone just like me, but he's not just going to be near you. He's going to be in you. You can't do it. Never will. Never happen. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Talk about a farmer's market, right? <laughs> Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And just as Paul is about to walk through security, he gave you the coffee he didn't finish. He didn't need it all. He was kind of jacked up when he got here. And I think he would, he would ask the same five-word question that he was one day asked by a guy named Ananias. And Luke recorded the question in Acts 22, 16. And now what are you waiting for? Yeah, Paul, I, I know you love Jesus and you're following him, trying to. And I know you met him on the road, but there's some stuff, something you need to do. And now what are you waiting for? Get up 
be baptized and wash their sins away, calling on his name. And for some in this room, that Paul would say the exact same thing. Hey, 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 like, I know you haven't done this. I know you haven't been immersed in the name of Jesus yet. What are you waiting for? You've already got the invitation. That's what you're waiting for. It came. It came on a cross and sealed by an empty tomb. What are you waiting for? And, and then I think for us Jesus followers, I think he'd say the same thing. I think he'd say it to me. Steve, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? I think he'd say, Steve, you know what, Steve? It's time to jump in with both feet. Steve, it's time, to, it's time to open your eyes. It's time, to, it's time to embrace the mission. It's time to be wrecked by my grace. It's time to really journey together. It's time to finish strong. And Paul, in that prison cell, he knows he's not getting out this time. He knows that it could be any day now that he's going to hear footsteps going down the corridor. He's going to hear keys jingling and the cell door is going to open. And it's not the guards taking him outside for 30 minutes of basketball or something. He knows that they're going to be leading him to the edge of a Roman axe. And Paul writes these words. And I want to write the same words. I want everybody in this room to be able to write the same words one day as they get close to the end. Here's what he wrote. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. Hey, he said, I poured it all out. He said, you know, it wasn't always pretty. Sometimes it got kind of ugly. Sometimes I messed up. Sometimes things didn't turn out the way I wanted to. But I poured my life out for Jesus because he poured his life out for me. The, the time of my death is near. I still want to be able to say this. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have remained faithful. He's on the last step about to head into the plane. And, and now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me but for all who are eagerly looking forward to his appearing. Paul would say, hang in there. Finish strong. I'm with you. The Spirit's in you, and it is worth it. It is worth it. Pray with me and stand if you would. Oh, Father, we need you. And Paul, Spirit, if you could kind of tell them and we appreciate him. And we're thankful for you, Spirit, that though Paul's not here, his words are here, words that you spoke through him. And God, we thank you for his faith and his faithfulness. We thank you for the things he tried to tell us today. And we thank you that the, the motto, the mantra, the theme of his life was for me to live as Christ. Everything for Paul was in Christ alone. And God, I pray that as we sing, man, some, some people are tired, they're just wore out. And God, I pray that you, Spirit, reminds them that it's worth it. And 
And some people got our eyes are, are shut and we only see what we don't have. We only see what's against us. We can't see all the things that are for us. And some are trying to do it by themselves and they're tired and they're weary. And some have kind of forgot about how awesome your grace is and, and no longer wrecked by it. No longer blown away and knocked to their knees that you would love them so much. God, whatever we need, may we hear your voice as we declare with Paul. And if Paul was right up here, he'd be, he'd be rocking it, Lord, with us as we sing this song. Spirit, move in this place. We expect something to happen right now because of who you are, not because of who we are. In Jesus' name, amen.